It's good to see you tonight. I've been looking forward to coming over to the Southland. I love the spirit of this church. And, uh, and, and I'm getting to know faces and, and, and uh, some names. And what a, what a joy it was to be with you. It's hard to believe a year and a half ago. Uh, but a year and a half ago, I was with you here at the church and then also at the summit. And then I just began pastoring a, a brand new church. Uh, matter of fact, the Sunday after I was with you was my first Sunday uh, there in, um, in Fredericksburg, Virginia at Faith Baptist. And so it's been an eventful uh, 18 months, but uh, it sure, sure, sure is good to be back. And teenage guys, you guys did a great job. That was, that was really, really good. Um, somebody told me it was uh, one of your first times to sing or maybe the first time to do a little solo part, and that was excellent. Well, don't you love to see young people sing? That was great tonight. And orchestra, you all did a good job tonight as well. Uh, enjoyed that. It's kind of like duel- dueling orchestras going on here. Uh, but uh, you both sides did equally well, okay, just so you know. And I appreciate that. And it's good to have the Gondermans here as well. And we, we love the uh, Gondermans. And Tom Gonderman is such a dear friend of mine. And uh, they're, they're basing out of our church just for, for the time being uh, as they get ready to come back to Australia. And that's going to be a blessing, uh, no doubt. I want you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, I, I, I want to bring a little bit of a teaching uh, lesson tonight. Uh, we're uh, going to be engaged in a great conference this week, the True North Summit. I know that many of you are, are involved. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, just, just for my sake, how many of you are going to have at least some part in the conference, either by working or uh, being able to attend a night or two? How many will have a part in the conference? Can you I just see your hand tonight? Okay, good. So the, really, the majority of you will have some part in the conference this next week, and so that's good. That, that validates what I want to talk about tonight. And let me just say this. If, uh, if you have not yet made plans to be a part of the conference, uh, the evening services are wide open. So you don't have to register. Uh, you can just come to the evening services. They're just uh, preaching services. I think it's 7 o'clock each night. And so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday... Uh, why don't you plan to come out one of those nights if you're not, if you haven't done so already, and just get a, a taste of the conference, and you're going to be glad that you did, because what's going to happen next Sunday is there's going to be a buzz about what the Lord did, and who made decisions, and what happened, and you're going to feel like, man, I wish I could have tasted a part of that, and so make, make, a, make your plans now to be a part of that conference, you know, regardless of what your age is. Uh, come out and be a part of it. And let God do something in your heart. I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 uh, tonight in your Bible. And I'm, I want to bring a little bit of a different uh, kind of a message tonight. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you have a, a piece of paper uh, and a pen, and you can jot down a couple things tonight. I typically don't encourage people to take notes. Uh, but tonight, I think this would be helpful. Uh, and so if you want to write down... Uh, a few things, and I, I think this would be helpful for you to do it. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 1. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Well, the Bible says, Paul, are you there? Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, okay? A Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace... Mercy and peace from God the Father 
and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. We'll go ahead and stop there for now and just ask for God to bless our, our time together tonight. Lord, we're looking forward. We're looking forward to what you will do through your word, being confident that when your word is read and when your word is preached, there you are, taking that word and, and applying it to our hearts. And Lord, tonight we're just asking that you would do a, a special work in our lives. We need you. We need your word. We need your, your spirit's power to rest upon us. And we're about to engage in a great week of ministry. And Lord, we, we, we're just not equal to the task. We, we need for you to guide us and for you to empower us. And Lord, tonight I'm praying that you would give us some time-honored biblical principles by which we can approach this week in, in the Spirit's power. Lord, would you bless this message tonight? Help us, Lord, to learn, certainly to be hearers of the Word. And then, Lord, help us to apply to be doers of the word. Give us your grace tonight as we, as I speak and as we listen. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I think most of you are aware of the background of the book of 2 Timothy. I think most of you know that this is the very last book that Paul is writing. You know that he's in prison. He's been in prison a couple times in his ministry, but he's in prison not, not, not under house arrest. He's been there before. Not, not in Caesarea. Oh, he's been there before. This time, he's in a deep, dark, dank, Mamertine prison. Really, it's just a hole in the ground. Can you imagine that? The great Apostle Paul, whose body is already racked with pain. His body has already also suffered uh, much more than any one of us has ever suffered in a lifetime. And yet, here's the Apostle Paul as an older man in a, in a hole in the ground. And yet, he still has a, a burden for other people. He has, still has a burden to, to mentor, to help, to love to shape other people. And so from this prison, he's writing a letter to his, uh, his protege, his, his mentee in the faith, a young man by the name of Timothy. And Pastor Skelly, are you telling me that, that Timothy was a, a teenager? No, no, he certainly wasn't. Are you saying that Timothy was in his 20s? Probably not. Timothy was probably in his late 30s, maybe even 40s by now. But please understand that Paul, now for many years, has invested in Timothy. From the time that Timothy was a very young man, Paul has invested in his life. And we know this. We know that Timothy was a young man who was disesteemed because he was a young man. We know that Paul has already taught Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in spirit, faith, and purity. And I'm forgetting one there. But uh, Timothy, uh, be an example, even though you're a young man. We do know that, that Timothy was challenged 
in his ministry because he was a young man. And yet we know that Paul poured his life into Timothy. We know that, humanly speaking, the reason why Timothy went on for God is because God put Paul in his life. Now, we know God does the work. We know that God is the one that deserves the glory, and ultimately God's the mover and shaker. But God uses people to help people. Always remember that. God uses people to help people. That's how you got saved. You got saved one day because God used a person in your life to give you the gospel message. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent, the Bible says. And so God uses people to help people, not just in the giving of the gospel, but he uses people to help people in the discipling of a, of a, of a person. And God brought Paul strategically into the life of T uh, Timothy. Remember, they're in Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas had gone back to that area, back to Galatia. And remember, uh, they confirmed the churches. And the Bible says in Acts 16 that him, Timothy, would Paul have go with him. And so what happened? Paul and the other elders of the church gathered around Timothy and they prayed over him. And they ordained him to gospel ministry. And now Timothy traveled with Paul and Silas. They left Lystra. They went on uh, westward uh, toward uh, the end of modern-day Turkey. They got to Troas, and there Luke joined them. And they uh, heard the Macedonian call, and they went to Philippi, and then on to Thessalonica, and then on to Berea, and then on to Athens, and then on to Corinth. And all the while, Timothy is being mentored by the Apostle Paul. Later on, on the third missionary journey, Paul comes back, and for three years, he spends time founding a church in Ephesus, and there is Timothy right alongside of Paul until finally Paul leaves and Timothy stays. And remember, Paul writes Timothy and says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, that they teach no other doctrine, neither give a heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. In other words, Timothy, stay where you are. Keep on serving God. I mean, Paul was used in a great way to mentor Timothy. Now my question to you tonight is, who's your Timothy? Who, who is the person right now for whom you're accountable? Who's the person tonight that you have poured your life into? Because you, you say, well, I just try to be a blessing to everybody. No, you can't be a blessing to everybody. And not, not in a profound way. You can bless everybody, I suppose, and certainly be friendly to everybody. But who is the person in your life? Who are the people in your life whom God has placed upon your heart to have a mentoring relationship? Every mature believer in Jesus Christ ought to be involved in a mentoring relationship. You know, this week we're going to be having a conference, and the, the, the thrust of the conference is really to millennials. It's really to 20-somethings this week to say, if, if the 20-somethings of this world don't get it, what's going to happen to our brand of Christianity? If the 20-somethings of this world don't get it, if we don't effectively pass that baton, if, if somehow, some way, we don't make the connection, and then uh, Christianity as we know it, at least in our circles, uh, it will cease to exist. It's incumbent upon us to pass the baton. It's incumbent upon us to understand the seriousness of a mentorship relationship. So I want you to see in 2 Timothy chapter 1 some principles about mentorship. 
some principles about pouring your life into the life of somebody younger than you. You say, well, Pastor Skelly, I'm in my 20s, so I guess I'm off the hook. No, no, there's somebody younger than you. And what I'm saying is you saw three teenage boys up here tonight. They need mentorship. I see a host of young people around this room tonight. They need mentorship. Well, they've got a mom. They've got a dad. Yes, but you know what? It takes a local church. And it's, it's, it's somebody coming alongside. And man, here's a 16-year-old that's looking at a 21-year-old who's pouring his life into him and saying, I will be your mentor. What does that mean? What are some practical principles, Pastor Skelly, that you can give us tonight, right from the Word of God, that will help us be more effective mentors for the cause of Jesus Christ? Look at it, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to give you maybe 8 or 9, just depending on our time tonight. A pastor told me I have uh, not until, uh, not a moment later than 1130, and I'm going to do the best I can to honor that. You always get like two or three that say amen. They're the Pharisees in the church. I'm just telling you right now. And everyone's saying, would you just be quiet, okay? We want to get out of here and go out to eat, okay? (laughs) You ever do that? You're in a church, and some evangelist is preaching. He's been preaching for like an hour and a half. And then all of a sudden he realizes how long he's been preaching. And he'll say, Pastor, how long do I have? And what's the pastor supposed to say? The pastor says, well, preach as long as the Spirit leads. And the people are saying, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Give him a time, Pastor. And so uh, I'll do my best to, to stay on time tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's talk about some mentorship principles. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy. That's a long introduction. I mean, think about it. This is what we call a personal letter in the Bible. Paul is writing Timothy. If anybody knew Timothy, Paul did. If anybody knew Paul, Timothy did. Matter of fact, Paul says that in this very letter. He said, that was fully known, my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my uh, afflictions, and all of it. Timothy, if anybody knows me, You know me. And yet, then why would Paul take the time to introduce himself the way he did? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, Timothy knows all that. He could have just said, Paul to Timothy. Why is Paul taking time to enunciate who he is and what his title is and, and what his calling is? Okay, I think here's why. Because Paul now is suffering in Rome. He is the poster child for Christianity. The Roman government now is pinning all of the economic woes upon Christians. They're the scapegoat. And Paul is the leader of Christianity. And so he's persona non grata in Rome. And people are beginning to feel the pressure of Rome. They're beginning to feel the pressure of, of, of the Ro- Rome of pushing back against Christians. And this is the time of great persecution in Rome where, where Christians are being put to the gladiators. All of that. And Timothy is be- beginning to shrink back. Timothy is beginning to be- grow timid. That's a good way to remember the word Timothy. He struggled with timidity. Timothy did. He just struggled with it. That's why chapters 1 and 2 deal with the theme of don't be ashamed. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, uh, uh, he said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In in verse 12, Paul said, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I know who I have believed. At the end of chapter 1, he says, Onesiphorus, he sought me out very diligently and found me. He was not ashamed of my chain. 
And chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, Study, make every effort to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And so the theme of chapters 1 and 2 is don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed of Christ. But Timothy is growing ashamed of Christ. Timothy's struggling. Timothy, a preacher. Timothy, a, a pastor. Timothy, a, a, a mentee of the Apostle Paul. Timothy, a person that's been in ministry for many, he's struggling with potentially being ashamed, stepping back from backsliding and his walk with God. So what does Paul do? Paul writes a letter and says, Timothy, I'm still doing what God has called me to do. I'm still doing, I'm still the sent one. I'm still the apostle. I'm still in the will of God. I'm still living my life according to the dictates of Jesus Christ. Okay? Principle number one. If you're going to effectively mentor somebody younger than you, then you must understand your own unique call of God. You must understand your own unique call of God and determine to live a life of biblical priority. You must understand your own unique call of God and determine to live a life of biblical priority. Priority. Hey, simply put, you can't take people to a place that you've not been yourself. Let me tell you what Christian leadership is not. Ready? Here, this is not, this is not Christian leadership. Christian leadership is not this. That's not Christian leadership. Christian leadership says, hey, go there, do that, wear this, say that. That's not Christian leadership. This is Christian leadership. Ready? This is Christian leadership. Hey, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. See, too often we've made this, hey, go there, go there, go there, go, no, 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 it's come here, come here, come here, come here, and the way by which to uh, uh, impact the lives of young people is to, just to show the way, go, know the way, show the way, and go the way. And so determine to live a life of biblical priority. Understand your own unique call of God. All right, number two. Notice what it says in verse two. So Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Watch this. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. To Timothy. Okay? Principle number two, prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. Prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. And can I just give you a, a secret? It's not going to be 200 people. And I'll just say something for pastor tonight. Because it's hard for a pastor to say this to his own congregation. But pastor cannot mentor every one of you. He can't do it. Jesus didn't mentor the 5,000. Jesus didn't mentor the 120. Jesus didn't mentor the great crowds that came and gathered. He ministered to them. He influenced them. But from among many, he chose 12 to be with him. That's not, that's not to say that some are the favored ones. That's not to say that some are more important than others. No, it's that God uh, wants us to mentor some, that through those some, we influence many. It's the principle of multiplication. It's the same reason why God chose Israel in the Old Testament. He didn't choose Israel to the exclusion of other nations. No, he chose Israel so that through Israel, he would reach the other nations. So Israel was his tool to love people. That's what God wants to do with you. God wants to use you as a tool to love people. And we must prayerfully consider, whom would God have me to mentor? 
The Bible says in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 that from among those many disciples, about one year into Jesus' public ministry, from among those many disciples, Jesus chose 12. And here's the operative term, ready? He chose 12 to be with him. You know, mentorship is not a matter of meeting an hour a week on a Wednesday night and studying through a Bible curriculum. And I'm not against that. Matter of fact, we do that. That's, that's, I think that's a part of it. You know what mentorship? Mentorship is time. Mentorship is spending time together. It's getting apart. It's letting someone see your life. It's letting someone see your, your reactions. Letting someone see your priorities. Let someone interact with who you are. Letting somebody on the inside of your thought processes. It's that. It's mentorship. And so you're going to have to carefully decide whom would God have you to mentor. One of the primary jobs of a pastor is to make sure that Everybody in this church, that's part of our bishop job, our overseeing job. One of our jobs is to make sure that everybody in the church is effectively being mentored. That everybody, nobody's slipping through the cracks. Okay? Here's the person that mentors you, the one that calls you if you're gone. Okay? If you're missing, who calls you? That's your mentor. Who's a mentor? A mentor is the one that knows your deepest, darkest prayer request. Who's that person? Who's the person in your life that you call when they're not here? Who's the person in your life for whom you're praying that secret prayer request in their life, that counsel they're off? Who's the one you're mentoring? Because we have to prayerfully consider those whom God would have us to mentor. Hey, understand your own unique call of God. Determine to live a life of biblical priority. Number two, prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. Number three, confirm your love to that person. Confirm your love to that person. The Bible says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Now, was Timothy Paul's son physically? No. Timothy, we know that Timothy was born of a Greek father, a Jewish mother. We know that. We know that Paul entered his life. We know that Paul was not related to him in some biological way. But Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, you're my son. You're the one I've spent time with. You're the one I've nurtured. You're the one I love. You're the one I've given my life to. I love you, Timothy. You know, you're never going to have a good mentorship relationship with anybody unless there's a pure, unadulterated love between you and a confirmation of that love. You know, love and acceptance is the optimal climate in which people grow. You know why we grow in grace? Because we know that God loves us. There's not one thing I can do today to make Jesus love me any more than he already loves me. Let me make that statement again. There's not one thing I can do today to make Jesus love me any more than he already loves me. Okay? It's knowing that love. It's apprehending that love. It's being cognizant of that love that, that impels me and compels me to serve him. That's what Paul said. He said it's the love of Christ which constrains me. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The Apostle Paul said, I just figure he loved me enough to die for me. I'm going to love him enough to live for him. See, it's that loving relationship. Love covers the multitude of sins. I wonder, who is the one to whom you're confirming your love? I grew up in a home where my dad never told me he loved me. Not one time. Uh, my dad left our home when I was four years old, uh, just right at four years old. My mother raised us by herself for the next six years. 
And then my mother got remarried to my stepfather. And that was a rocky relationship. Now, I love him very dearly today, but when my mother married my stepfather, it was not a good situation for me. And he didn't want me, really, and I really didn't want him, and he didn't really tell me he loved me, and I certainly didn't tell him I loved him. So the first time I, I went off to Bible college at age 18, actually age 17, I had never one time in my whole life heard any man tell me, I love you. Now, my mother told me every day, but I'd never heard it from, from a man. And by the way, it's important, men, that we tell our boys that we love them. And so I, I went to Bible college, and I, I remember uh, being at Bible college, and I had some roommates, and some of them were from the southern part of the United States. And understand this about the United States. Up north, uh, we're a little bit more cold and calloused. We say something, we mean it, but we're kind of cold. Down south, they're really warm and open, but they don't mean it, okay? And so uh, we, were, we, were, uh, we, we, we were in my dormitory room, and, and one of my roommates from down south was with me, and we had gotten to know each other for, for about two or three days. And so now I'm leaving my dorm, and I'm walking out of my dorm, and uh, I said, see you later. And he says, yeah, see you later, man. He says, love you. I said, What? He said, I love you, man. I said, no, you don't. What are you talking? It's the first time in my life another man had ever said, I love you. And I didn't believe it at all. It was just a nicety. You know what people need? People need real, genuine love. That's not just a nicety. Who's the person in this church? Who's the person in your life whom God has laid upon your heart to say, I love this person? And I'm going to invest my life in them. Now I want to bring them to spiritual maturity with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Now I'm not giving up. Now I'm going to show an unconditionality in my relationship with this person. I love them. So number one, understand your own unique call of God. It determines a level of life, a biblical priority. Number two, prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. Uh, number three, confirm your love. Confirm your love to that person. Make sure that they know that the bedrock of your relationship is not some level of performance on their part, not some level of faithfulness on their part. The fact that you have committed yourself to them, you love them. Number four, never underestimate. I hope I'm not stretching on this point. I don't think I am. But never underestimate the power of the written word. Never underestimate the power of the written word. You know, we live in a visual age, don't we? It's like I, my kids are always teaching me like new little features on my, my, my iPhone. I, I don't even know we're there, you know. So just push this button and hold it down, and then this is going to appear. How am I supposed to know that, you know? They're showing me all this stuff. And, but, you know, I, I think, and, and by, I, I love technological advances, and I love what we can do with the gospel. Because of, but, you know, there's, there's something that we're losing. And when God chose to give his revelation of truth to mankind, he did it through the written word. When Paul communicated to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he's communicating through the written word. There's something, there's, there's something special about reading a letter in someone's handwriting. And I'll prove it. When you go to your, what do they call it, a letterbox here? Mailbox, what do they call it? What? 
mailbox, you go to your mailbox, and you take your stack of mail out. I don't know if it's what it's like in Australia, but in America, you get a lot of junk mail. Do they call it junk mail here? Junk mail. Credit card application, credit card application, bill, bill, coupon, you know, some store I've never visited, you know, 50% off of who cares, you know, uh, all this stuff. And then in the stack, you'll have a letter there that's handwritten. And it's like from your grandma. It's like, oh. You put that on top. Or you put it on bottom. So you throw everything out and then you open it up carefully. And there it is written. And I remember my son Joshua. My son Josh is my second son. He's actually a student pastor today. He's 25 years old. He's married and they live in Kansas. Right in the midsection of the United States. And he loves the Lord. He's a, he's a good man. But you know, growing up, he, he had an older brother, Nathaniel. Nathaniel was the valedictorian of his class. He, Nathaniel was the, the, the captain of the basketball team and the captain of the football team. And Joshua was always in Nathaniel's shadow. And then Nathaniel graduated, and Joshua has a younger brother, my third son, Caleb, who just got married this past March. He works with us there at Faith. And Caleb was also a very, very good athlete. And Caleb was a, a very good student. And Caleb was also the captain of the team. And it's one thing to be in the shadow of your older brother. It's an altogether different thing to be in the shadow of your younger brother. And Joshua was kind of just in, lost in the middle a little bit. And I could tell something wasn't right. I could just tell something wasn't right. Now, I was burdened for him. And Wanda remembers this. We were just burdened for him. I remember praying for him and standing outside his room and praying for him. I didn't really know how to break through. He was the kind of kid, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong, Dad. I'm, I'm fine. But, I, but as parents, you know when things are wrong. I'll never forget, I, I, wrote, him a, I wrote him a letter. About a three-page letter, I just wrote him, Josh, I just want to tell you some things I appreciate about you. I said, you know, the world tends to measure only a few criteria. You know, the world tends to measure academics. and The world tends to measure athletics. and The world tends, to, it has its own, me I said, but God measures differently. I said, God measures things like, like love and, and joy and, and peace and selflessness and service and, and genuineness. And these are, these are areas in which Josh got raving scores in my mind. And I wrote this letter about what I thought about him and the way I saw it. I just wrote it and said, I love you, Dad. I gave him the letter. Now, I, I, I thought maybe after an hour or two, he, he'd come bursting through the door and say, Dad, you're, you're the best dad in the world. But he didn't. I thought maybe by the next morning he'd write me a little letter back and say, hey, Dad, thank you so much for that note. It meant the world to me. But he didn't. And I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe it just didn't mean anything to him. A couple days later, I said to Josh, and I would say this to all my kids growing up, I said, what are you reading in your devotions? Because I think it's important to hold our kids accountable in a good way. And, and he said something like Galatians or something. I forget what it was. I think it was something like that. And I'm reading Galatians. And, and so he was away, so I went down to his bedroom to kind of snoop around. Because I'm a snooper. And every parent ought to be a snooper. Because you pay the bills. And so I went into his bedroom. I'm kind of snooping around. 
What's he got here, you know? What's he hiding? I went there by his nightstand, and there was his Bible. So I wanted to see, you know, if he's reading the book that he told me he was reading. There should be a bookmark there, right? Should be some way, maybe the little stringy thing. So I went to his Bible, and I opened up to Galatians, and sure enough, there was the bookmark to Galatians, right where he said he was reading. And oh, by the way, you know what the bookmark was, don't you? The letter. Never underestimate the power of the written word. Don't underestimate it. You know, there's something about a little note. Hey, you know, pray. I've noticed, I've noticed, I've noticed you. I'm praying for you. I love you. Something about that written word. All right, number five. Look at verse two again. We've got to start moving here. We're on verse two, and I'm going to go all the way through chapter four. Look at verse two again. That's not true. Uh, t- that didn't even get a laugh. That was like, <gasps> To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, watch this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, the next principle. I think it's number five. Next principle. Okay, tell the person you're mentoring that you desire for him to to be the recipient of God's richest blessings upon his life. Tell the person whom you're mentoring that you desire for him to be the recipient of God's richest blessings upon his life. Paul said, grace, mercy, and peace are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, Timothy, I want God to do in your life what only God can do in your life. Too often with young people, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find some way to connect. And so we talk about the, the ball game, or we talk about the World Cup, or we talk about the tennis match, or we talk about the, the basketball game, or we talk about the latest movie, or we talk about the, the YouTube funny video, or we talk about the latest joke, or we talk about... And listen, I'm not against finding points of connection, but listen, our talks need to get beyond the weather. Our talks need to get beyond the sports. Our talks need to get beyond the news. Our talks should, uh, should center upon the things of God. And we ought to be willing to talk about the blessings of God and the things that only God can do in a young person's life. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. I wonder, are you, with whom are you having those conversations? You know, I'll stop a young man. I'll say, you know, I, I'm praying that God's that God would reveal himself to you. I I want God's presence to be felt in your life, but I want God to do something with your life. God has a plan for you. You know, are we having those conversations? I want you to to be the recipient of God's richest blessings in your life. All right, look at verse three. The Bible says, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing, watch this, without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. You want to make a difference in somebody's life? Uh, Pray for them and tell them that you're praying for them. Watch this. Pray for them and tell them that you're praying for them. Uh, Peter said, no, Lord, I I won't deny you. Peter, yes, you will. No, I won't. No, I won't. Peter, yes, you will. Everyone's going to die. No, no, I'll fight. I'll die for you. I'm not like the rest of them. I I won't deny you. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. You in the King James English is always plural. He desired to have you. That means you disciples. That he may sift you. He wants to separate you. By the way, Satan works the same way today. He wants to get you away from the crowd. 
He wants you to get away from your local church. He wants you to get by yourself. Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, you, individually, Peter. Hey, Satan wants the group, but Peter, I've singled you out, and I'm praying for you. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Hey, Peter, I'm praying for you, and I'm letting you know that I'm praying for you. Boy, the power of prayer. Do we believe in it? What, what God can do in a person's heart absent my physical intervention. Do you believe that God can move the hearts of men simply in prayer? Do you believe that God could do a, make a difference in this life in people's lives if we would stop and pray? Do you, think that, do you think that God can still work and change a person's heart in response to our, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man? Do you think that it still availeth much? I do. And so pray and let them know that you're praying. Remember years ago, we started a church in the state of Connecticut, all, all the way in the northeastern part of the United States. I was only 25 years of age, and we started a church called Foundation Baptist Church. We just had uh, a few people that came just to start up church. The evening services, we'd have, oh, just a few people come back. But we loved it. I didn't know any better, just a young kid preaching. I remember a, a missionary called me. Matter of fact, he was from the Philippine Islands. His name was Brother Vic. Brother Vic was a, a national pastor for the Philippines, and he was raising some support. And He called me. I didn't know him. He called me and asked if he could come in and present his ministry. I said, well, Brother Vic, we're just a small startup church. I, I don't think we can take you on for support, but you're welcome to come, and we'll try to take a love offering for you. He said, oh, I'd love to. Real energetic guy. I'll never forget that guy came in that night. There might have been 10 people in our church that night. And old Brother Vic, man, he just preached. He just preached, man. He lit it up. Talked about the gospel and winning souls, and we were all on the edge of our seat, Brother Vic. Just, he talked, my name is Brother Vic. That's the way he talked. I love the Lord. I love the gospel. My name is Brother Vic. Yeah. We took a love offering. I thought that's the last time I'd ever seen it. Years later, I'm in the state of Pennsylvania pastoring a church. The secretary uh, rings me and says, uh, Pastor, there's somebody on the, the phone for you. He says he knows you. I said, okay, we'll put him through. And I picked up the phone, and on the other end, I hear this. Hello, Brother Skelly, it's Brother Vic. I immediately knew who it was. I said, well, hi, Brother Vic. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. How is Wanda? I'm thinking, why are you shouting? <laughs> I said, well, Wanda is doing great. Oh, that's wonderful. How is Nathaniel? It's my oldest son. I said, well, Nathaniel's doing great, Brother Vic. How is Joshua? I said, well, Joshua's man, he's growing up. He's doing well. How about Caleb? How is Caleb doing? I said, Brother Vic, I said, you have an outstanding memory. And here's what Brother Vic said. He said, oh, Brother Skelly, I have a poor memory, but I pray for your family every single day. Boy, I'm talking about that 20 years after he called me. Do you think that made an impression upon me? What kind of impression would you make upon someone? See, we, we make one of two mistakes. Either number one, we, we, we don't pray for people and we tell them that we are. I'll be praying for you. Yeah, I'll pray about that. Will you? Are you? I think a lot of times we mean to, but we don't. Or the other mistake we make is we do pray for people and we don't tell them. And it's an encouragement to tell people, 
I am praying for you. You want to make a difference in someone's life? Pray for them and tell them that you're praying for them. Okay? Principle number six or seven or whatever we're on. Look at verse uh, four. He says, is it seven? Thank you. Look at verse four. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Okay? You want to make a difference in the life of, of somebody in the next generation? Okay? Communicate your desire to spend time with them. Greatly desiring to be with thee, that I may uh, uh, be, be, that, uh, be mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, I can't wait to get together. Timothy, I love the time we spend together. Hey, this is the intergenerational ministry. This is an older man saying, I love to spend time with you. A younger man, I love hanging out. I love the fellowship. I love talking with you. I love knowing where you're at. I love spending time with you. It brings me great joy. I think sometimes we look at mentorship as a job that we do or or mentorship as a chore that we must uh, engage in. But listen, uh, this is a relationship. Do you enjoy mentoring people? Do you enjoy impacting the next generation? Well, I, I've met people that, that are in team ministry that say, you know, Pastor, I really don't even like working in team ministry. Then, then don't. Join the choir. You know, get on the left side or get on the right side or get on some side. But there ought to be a joy in our heart about working with people. Who are you mentoring? Who do you love? Who are you praying for? Who are you called to? Huh? Who is it? See, mentorship. Look at verse 4. Verse 5, rather. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. Oh, don't miss that. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. Okay, here's one of the most important principles I'll give you tonight. Ready? You want to make a difference in the lives of young people? You want to have intergenerational ministry where you're impacting the next generation for Jesus Christ? Okay, here's a great one. Ready? Praise the good that you can. Praise the good that you can. A mistake we make in modern ministry is we're constantly challenging. We're constantly saying, hey, listen, here's the bar, here's the bar, here's the bar, and then as soon as they get to that bar, we raise the bar, and listen, I'm all for high standards, and I'm all for raising the bar, and I'm all for high expectations, but wait a minute, there also needs to be fertilization of what they're doing already for Christ. Timothy was about to get rebuked. Paul was about to rebuke Timothy for his timidity, but before he ever did that, Paul said, Timothy, here's one thing I really appreciate about you. You're real. That's what unfeigned faith means. Unfeigned. Ah, nupocritas. Without hypocrisy. Hey, Timothy, one thing I've always appreciated about you is you are real. Your mom was that way, Timothy. Your grandma was that way. I've known them for years. And Timothy, you're a chip off the old block. You're just like mom. You're just like grandma. You are real. I wonder, what is the good that you're refusing to, to tell somebody. There's something about it. Okay, I want you to do something right now. Here's, here's your homework. You're going to have an invitation in the middle of my message. You're saying, this is the middle? Okay, did three quarters through my message, okay? You have an invitation. Here it is, ready? I want you right now, I want you right now to think about somebody else in this room. Right now. 
preferably not the person right next to you, but somebody else in this room. Think about them right now. I want you to think about something that encourages you about that person. Can you do that right now? Just think about somebody else in this room. I got it. Somebody in your, somebody else in this room that encourages you about something about them that encourages you. Got it? Okay. Here's your homework. Ready? You have to tell them that tonight. You have to tell them that tonight. That's your homework. I challenge you. I challenge you to go to that person tonight and say, you know what? You're the person that was on my heart, and I really appreciate this about you. There's, we, we're losing that. And one of the reasons why we're not mentoring and not helping and shaping the next generation is because we, we never give credence to where they are making achievements. We're never praising the good that we can. And Paul was about to rebuke Timothy, and he needed rebuke. But Paul said, listen, one thing I appreciate about you is you're real, and I love that about you. Let me give you a couple more, and we're done. Look at verse uh, 6. Verse 6, wherefore, based upon all this, I know who I am. Timothy, I've chosen you to mentor you. I love you. Timothy, I'm praying for you. Timothy, I want God, you to be the recipient of God's richest blessings in your life. Timothy, I love hanging out with you. Timothy, you're real. All these great things. And now verse 6, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting of my hands. Okay, you want to make a difference in some young person's life? Okay, remind them of their spiritual victories. Remind them of their spiritual victories. Okay, a great part of this next week is going to be us witnessing spiritual victories in the lives of young people. That's going to be a great part of this week. I love it. I lo- Listen, if I weren't preaching, I would still love it because I love to sit on the sidelines of people's lives. I love to see them in the arena of God's will and say, yes, yes, good job, great. Hey, I'm here cheering for you. And by the way, it's important for us to log that in our mental calendar. You know why? Because down the road, it's important for us to stop and look back and say, hey, I was there when you made that decision. I was there when you got saved. I was there when you were called to preach. I I was there when you gave up that particular sin. I was there when you surrendered. I was there. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Timothy, I was there. When we laid our hands upon you, I was there. When God did something big in your life, Timothy, I was there. Timothy, go back there in your mind. Get that thing stirred up again. What's important for us to be those people. Who is it that you're helping to remind them of God's spiritual journey in their life? How God's brought them along. Who is that person? Who are you mentoring? Because Paul said, here's what I'm saying to you, Timothy. Timothy, I was there. Get that thing back. Timothy, rekindle that thing again. Stir that thing up. Look at verse 7. Two more. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Here it is, ready? Be willing to say the hard things. Now, wait a minute. Sometimes that's where we start. Yeah, yeah, those teenagers. Yeah, 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 those young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Here's what they need to. Now, Paul dealt with it. Paul wasn't just stroking Timothy's ego. But you know what? In the context of Timothy, I'm still at it. Timothy, I chose you. Timothy, I love you. Timothy, I'm praying for you. Timothy, I love being with you. Timothy, I want God's blessings upon your life. Timothy, 
uh, I, 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 you're real. Timothy, man, I was there when God did some big things in your life. Timothy, come on. You're acting scared. Timothy, come on. You're filled with fear. Timothy, come on. That's not from God. Do you know it's not wrong to feel fear? It's not wrong to feel fear. It's wrong to act in fear. Okay? You feel fear. That's natural. I'm sure those three teenage guys up here tonight were feeling some fear. But they didn't act in fear. No, they acted in faith. They did what God called them to do. And they sang a song and ministered to us, didn't they? Okay? Fear was not their counselor. Somebody encouraged them to stand up and do that. And they, they no doubt wanted to back out. I remember as a teenager, I sang in a quartet. I, I, all of a sudden, I had throat trouble. You know, I had, you know, my aunt would, needed my help that night. I mean, just all, you know, no, no, you're going to sing, you're going to sing. Somebody encouraged me. And Paul was saying, Timothy, listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Here's who, here we are. Timothy, we have a sound mind. Timothy, you know who you are. Timothy, you know where you came from. You know where you are. You know where you're going. You have a sound mind. That's what God's given you. You have the spirit of power. Uh, Timothy, you've got the spirit of God resting upon you. Timothy, you were with me. You saw the preaching and you saw the people getting saved. Timothy, uh, you've got the power of God upon your life and of love. Timothy, you're loved supremely by Jesus Christ himself who gave himself for you. Timothy, wake up. He's dealing with Timothy in a very concrete way, saying the hard things. And then lastly tonight, practically challenge them to do right. Practically challenge them. Hey, he, he dealt with the hard thing, verse 7, and then in verse 8, he practically challenged him to do right. Watch what he says imperatively in verse 8. He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Stop it, Timothy. Now, Timothy, I'm not there, okay? But I'm in prison, and I'm going to die. People have forsaken me. And Demas is gone. Alexander the coppersmith, he didn't mean much evil. And at my first court appearance, no man stood with me. Everyone forsook me. So Timothy, you're not the only one going through it. I'm going through it too, Timothy. And I'm telling you, Timothy, I love you, and I'm praying for you, and God's got big plans for you, and I love being with you. And Timothy, you're real. I understand all that, but you're acting scared. Stop it. Stop it. You're ashamed of Christ who hung naked on the cross for you. Stop it. You're ashamed of me. Stop it. Come on, Timothy. Get back in it. Let me just say to young people, in the context of parents and pastors and older church members and mature Christians who love you and nurture you and encourage you and every now and then have to challenge you, don't disesteem the challenges that come from older Christians. Don't disesteem that. Every now and then, You've got to hear the hard things. And every now and then, somebody's got to say, wake up. And every now and then, people have to say, quit playing around. And every now and then, somebody's got to say, come on. And what Paul is saying here is, come on. But saying, come on, is in the context of a person he's loved and mentored. Who is that? Who is that person in your life? Because the conference is going to come. And the conference is going to go. But the people that go on for God are people that have spiritual mentors. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Thank you for listening so well tonight. Pardon me for going a little bit over time.
our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. I'm not going to invite you to come forward in this invitation, but I am going to invite you to do business with the Lord. I'd like to have our sister just start playing anything on the piano if she would. As the piano music plays, can we just draw a circle around ourselves tonight? Just draw a circle around yourself. I've challenged you in a couple ways tonight. Number one, I've challenged you to be a mentor to somebody. Would you right now, before the Lord, say, Lord, whom would you have me to mentor? Would you pray that sincerely tonight? Whom would you have me to mentor? Maybe God's laid somebody upon your heart. Maybe already you're engaged in that process. Who is it? Who is it in your life that God's leading you to make a difference? How about it tonight? Would you pray about that? Number two, in what ways are you failing the protege you now have? Perhaps as a mom or dad, you'd say, boy, I'm just, I'm not praying for my own children like I should. I'm not confirming the love that I need to confirm. But I've been, I've been all justice, no grace. And boy, I need to praise the good that I can. I need to write a letter. I need to send a little note. Maybe God's encouraged your heart in some way tonight. Maybe you've done all those things, but you've been unwilling to deal with the issue. You've been unwilling to say the hard thing. You're not confrontational. Listen, my friend, that's not good either. It's a balance, isn't it? Maybe tonight God's laid that upon your heart about the person you're mentoring. Maybe tonight you'd be a young person and say, well, I'd love to have somebody mentor me. I'd love to have somebody make that investment in my life. Well, I'd encourage you tonight to go to your pastor. Say, Pastor, I, I, I want you to assign somebody. Help me find somebody that can take me under their wing. Mentor me. I need that. I need that. I'm still struggling. And I find myself slipping back to the same besetting sins in my life. I need somebody to come alongside. I guarantee you, Pastor will help you with that. I guarantee you, he will. Maybe right now you commit that to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to find somebody by God's grace to be mentored. Maybe tonight your simple plan of action is just to take what you already have in your mind. That one encouraging thought, praise the good you can, you're going to go to that person tonight and say, I really thank God for, and tell them. Father, I thank you for Southland Baptist. Lord, I thank you for their, their spirit. Lord, I feel just a genuine camaraderie when I come to this place. Lord, I'm grateful for family units. I'm grateful for a slew of young people. I'm thankful, Lord, for what you're doing and will continue to do. And by God's grace, what you'll do for many years to come. Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help us to get a hold of this important topic of, of mentorship. And, oh, God, would you help us to make a difference in the lives of others, we pray. In Jesus' name.